0: And I hope you enjoyed Johnny Cash. You know, the point of that video was that what he said is so true is that preachers always say the same thing. You know, you go to church and you say, well, I heard that before. Matter of fact, if you don't go to church and you come, you say, well, I heard that before. If you've been to church before. They say the same thing. He said, from St. Paul. St. Paul is Paul of the Bible. The man who wrote a lot of the New Testament books. Okay? To Billy Graham. Uh, Some of you young folks maybe don't know Billy Graham. Billy Graham was maybe the greatest evangelist who ever lived. He's an evangelist out of the 20th century. Okay? And uh, he was known to always say when he preached, Jesus said, Jesus said. But it's the same message from St. Paul, from Paul the Apostle of the New Testament, to Billy Graham of the 20th century, to now in connection through Mike Davis and other pastors who speak today, the same words, follow Jesus, means change your life. Follow Jesus means change your life. And you see, that's what we don't like to hear. Because I get comfortable with the way I live. I like the way I spend my evenings, my mornings, my afternoons. I like What I look at, I like how I think. But Jesus said, and he just gave you a lot of the Scripture phrases on the screen that Billy Graham had said, Jesus said things that cause us to change, to not be the same. Because Jesus' words bring transformation to our lives. That's what Matt was trying to indicate when he says, we're not concerned about your past. We're concerned about your future. And that's what Jesus was. That's why he talked a lot about repentance and forgiveness. Because you see, that deals with the past. And we're not good with letting go of the past, dealing with it and letting go. We hold on to it. As a matter of fact, some of you are still upset at your parents, and you've not lived with your parents for decades because you've got your own family. You see, you're holding on to the past. And some of you are holding on to other things. Jesus' words bring transformation to our lives, if we will listen to what He says and we will do what He says. And today, in the Scripture we're going to look at, we're going to see that He is talking to religious people, the church folks of His day, and He says the same thing. Listen to my words. Listen to what God is doing through me. And they have to decide well, they hear His words and do what He says. If they will, it will bring change into their lives. Transformation. So if you have your copy of God's Word, I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of Luke. Back part of your Bible. Go to the right side of your Bible. Back part of your Bible. Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Okay. If you've got one of those New Testaments, it's going to be page 71. And let me say, if you do not have a Bible, we have New Testaments out on the table just outside the door on the far wall. And take one of those, bring it back, because I'll ask you to circle things, underline things throughout these sermons. We've been dealing with Luke. It's going to soon be almost two years. We'll finish it up probably February or March of next year. And we started it last Easter. Not this Easter, Easter before. No, this Easter we started. So it's going to be a year almost that will be in Luke. And... Uh, We're looking at what Jesus says. Why do I do that? Because in the first chapter, Luke said he investigated everything that he had heard about Jesus. Luke didn't walk with Jesus, Luke didn't talk with Jesus. Luke was like you and I. Somebody came into his life, told him about a man named Jesus who was born in Nazareth, or I'm sorry, was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth. Told him about Jesus' life, how it touched other people, how Jesus had words. And actions that changed the lives of individuals. Crowds of people came around him. And Luke became a believer. And Luke did what we do. People today write books about folks that they heard about two, three, four decades ago. And they become bestsellers today. Luke, 29 years, 29 years after Jesus had left this earth, gone back to be the Father, wrote part of a bestseller, the Bible. The Bible. Books sold more, the Bible, there's been more Bibles sold than any other book in the history of mankind. Luke is writing just within three decades about Jesus. And he says in the beginning to the guy he's writing to, I went and I checked all this out. I carefully investigated what I'm writing in this, this letter to you. It was a letter. We call it a book. And so we're looking at it because he said I carefully investigated it. He went and He talked to people who talked to Jesus. He talked to people who walked with Jesus. He talked to people who saw the miracles. He talked to Mary. He talked to the shepherds in the fields when Jesus was born. You see, we read it and we say, somebody's just telling me I've got to believe all that. And nobody explains to you that what Luke wrote, Luke checked out for you and I because you and I can't go back and talk to people who walked with Jesus and who talked with Jesus. And God has kept those in this book we call the Bible. Because you see, Jesus says so many things that will change our lives. Now we've been following Him from Luke, which Luke deals with His birth, and now we're moving toward, He's in Jerusalem, and in just a few days, four, five, six days, He's going to be crucified by Church folks, religious people who do not want what he has to say. Okay? And so for three years, or we've been traveling through Luke, and for three years Jesus has been saying things and demonstrating his relationship with God the Father for people to witness and to understand. And always it comes to this place. Will you listen to my words? That's Jesus speaking. And will you do as I say? That's Jesus speaking. And that is what brings transformation. And each one of us has to decide that. Matter of fact, if you've got your worship handout, there's a page with blanks. It's got the date, November the 3rd, inside your worship handout. And I'd like you to look at that first blank if you would. The first blank. Will we listen and do what Jesus says? Now, I'm going to be looking at some Scripture. I want you to know everything in the Bible is true. Everything. Not some. Everything in the Bible is true. But not everything in the Bible is easy to understand. Some things are more difficult. Okay? And so, we may hear Jesus say some things, and we'll say, I don't understand that, and we'll let that be the block. Listen, everything in the book, I believe, we believe a connection, is true. But not everything is as easy to understand. And we're going to hear some words from Jesus to religious people that they're going to have to decide will they accept what Jesus is saying. Okay? But before we look there, let's just bow together for prayer. Father, you heard Matt. In his words say, we need you. We do, God. Without you all we are a bunch of people in a room and and a guy talking to us. Father, we need your Spirit to speak, to guide, to direct. Father, hopefully, in my time with you, you've directed me to to think about words that, that I should say. Through my study, you've directed people who have given great hours to understand Your Word. And it's helped me understand it better. But Father, it's Your Spirit that we need to have take charge of this time. For God, all of us know we need change. Some in some areas, some in other areas. Some more today than yesterday. And some of us need more tomorrow than we need today father we pray that you help us to just get some understanding from these these verses that we're going to look at and from what Jesus says in the name of Jesus we pray amen before we look we're going to start there the 20th chapter let me remind you connect groups are starting again and you can look at the connect group study uh, we're looking at the end of the New Testament we've done a a survey of the Bible, in a sense, okay, for this year from Genesis, and we're going to end with the book of Revelation, and you can look there at the groups, and we're going to be talking about what the New Testament says to the body of believers, the early church. So I would encourage you, if you're not involved in the Connect group, look over the list, find one of those groups, okay? We don't do Sunday school, we do those home study groups, and we invite you to do that. If you're in a youth group, please pay attention. Josh is leading the youth today and uh, we'll begin leading it and look at the address change. So you go to the right location for the study, okay? Uh, One other thing in here also, we're planning a baptismal, a dunk party. You can read about that. Two weeks. Some of you are followers of Jesus Christ, but you've never, ever followed Him in believers' baptism. Two things He told His followers to do. People who call Him Lord. People who say they've been born again. People who claim to be saved. People who say they're Christian all those terminologies. People who are followers of Jesus. He said, one is, you should take the elements of the bread and the juice. Okay? The other is, you should be baptized. Those are two things he tells us for certain. And So if you're a believer in Jesus, but you've never been baptized, talk to me. Because we would celebrate that at our party, and you can read about it on the 17th. Okay? just need to give you some information so you'll come prepared to be baptized. Okay? Good deal. Let's look. Luke 20th chapter. Look there at verse uh, uh, 27. Okay? Uh, Maybe before that, verse 26 tells you that if you've got your Bibles open, I don't have it on the screen, but verse 26 says they're trying to trap Jesus, the religious leaders. He's in Jerusalem. As I said earlier, he's going to be crucified in five, six days. They're going to kill him. Okay? There are maybe two million Jews, a million to two million Jews, uh, it's estimated would have been in Jerusalem during this time. It's the Passover uh, for you who have been involved in church. you know the Passover is remembering God's deliverance of the nation Israel from Egypt and the death angel passing over. I don't want to go into all that, not time. So they're there commemorating what happened three,, 3,500 3, years before this time. And they're still remembering. Just like you and I are now 2,000 years removed from when Jesus walked on the earth and we're still commemorating what he has done for us. We remember that. Well, they remember the Passover. Very special time. And it's a significant time because just like the death angel brought salvation in a sense to those people in Israel so their lives weren't touched by death, Jesus comes So you and I, our lives are not touched by death. You see, He's going to hang on the cross. He's going to hang on the cross for our sins. He's going to die. He's going to lay in the grave. He's going to raise from the grave. In three days, He's going to raise from the the grave. And in His resurrection, He's going to defeat death. He's going to defeat, listen to me, sin. Because sin brings death. The Bible tells us that from the very beginning of the book itself. It talks about sin brings death. Now I know some of us, we say, but I got sin, but I'm not dead, I'm alive. That's right. Sin brings physical death. We were never to die physically. But sin brings separation from God in our lives. I hold on to sin, I don't walk close to God. I hold on to sin, I don't experience the life God intended in my marriage, in my relationship with you. In just my thought, my meditation, Satan just wilts it all. Brings death to me. Jesus defeated, when He rose from the dead in His resurrection, He defeated Satan, death, sin. He then walked for about 40 days with the people there on earth. You weren't there, I wasn't there. Some of you are skeptical, that's right. That's why Luke is writing. We're going to get to that part in the book of Luke. Stay with us if you haven't been with us. That's just in the next few months. But people saw Jesus. Over 500 people saw Jesus. Their names, some of their names are recorded. Why? So people go ask, did you really see this guy? Somebody said you did. Their names were recorded. People talked with Jesus after He rose from the dead. You and I can't do that. Luke couldn't do that. Luke was just told about it. So Luke is going and he's checking it out and he's saying, tell me about it. Luke is going to visit the tomb. Today, we don't know where the tomb is for certain. But back then, they knew where it was for certain. The years, the decades, the centuries hadn't had time to hide it. So he could check those things out. And he could talk to those people. And then he ascended up to heaven. People saw him. That blows my mind. I can't believe that. Come on. I've never seen anybody send into heaven. Ascend into heaven. You know, sometimes I wish God would take some people into heaven real quick. But that's not what Jesus would want me to do, say and do and think, say. I mean, what did he say? Billy Graham, Jesus said, love your neighbor. And your neighbor's a person with need and those people that maybe I don't like today are the people with need. And I need to love them. And the easy thing would be for God to take them out of my life when God's got them in my life so I can do what Jesus said and experience transformation in my life. See, a lot of people can't love people who hurt them. He ascended into heaven. And you know what happened? Those people, who saw His resurrection, who before His resurrection were hiding behind locked doors, stepped outside of those locked doors and went into the world and changed the world. Jesus Christ changed them. They walked with Jesus. They talked with Jesus. They knew it wasn't a lie. You and I are now trusting people who has told the story. And the Spirit of God speaks to us and He says, this is what you need because you see, sin is controlling your life. You are dying. As hard as you try to get a hold of it, you're dying. And you need to hear the words of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is before these religious people who are trying to trap Him because you see, they they have no authority to arrest Him and execute Him. The Romans do. And so he's got, they've got to try to trap him so they could say to the Romans, he's causing trouble. And the Romans will eventually execute him. So look at that 27th verse. That's where we are. Okay? They're at the place that they're saying, Who died and made Jesus boss? You remember last week we talked about that? They said, Who gives you the authority to do the things you do and to say the things you do? In other words, who died and made Jesus boss? And that's what you may think this morning. Who gives Mike Davis the right to tell me that Jesus said I ought to follow him and do what he says? Who died and made Jesus boss? That's their question. Well, look at 27. Then Jesus was approached by some Sadducees. Okay, Sadducees are part of the Sanhedrin. I don't want to take time to explain that. I can impress you, but that's not important. Sanhedrin was just a decision-making body. If you have a board, you have a group of people for that religious experience. The Sanhedrins were those people and they were the decision makers of the Jewish people. Okay, I would encourage you to underline the rest of verse 27 because when you read this, the ending of chapter 20 the rest of verse 27 is important to understand. You see the rest of verse 27 said religious leaders, see some Sadducees, religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. The Sadducees did not believe that people rose from the dead. Why? No proof. Who can believe something like that? That's far fetched. The Sadducees didn't believe. Listen, in the supernatural. Hey, why believe in the supernatural? They didn't believe in it. They didn't believe in demons. They didn't even believe in angels. See, in that sense, they they, they didn't believe in the supernatural. They were people who were anti-supernatural. They were people who say, I live with what I can see and what I can hear. What I can touch. You see, there, a lot of us are like those Sadducees. Because we want to validate life based upon our own self. And I'm going to tell you, that's wrong. Some of you know my story of living Five years, four or five years in rebellion to my dad. Started when I'm 14, 13, 14. Continued until really, I had to apologize when I'm 23, 24, 25 sometime in there. Because God made me realize. But you see, upon my own rationale, my dad was wrong. And I was right. And I'm telling you, I always got in trouble in my rebellion. My roads always were dead ends. You see, sin brings death. And some of you know what that's like. But you see, Jesus said some things to me through some men who mentored my life. He brought me to the place to apologize to my dad. Apologize to my father-in-law. to Tell my wife, let's pray and ask that your dad, Jim, because he used to travel on a plane across the United States. That for some reason, he'd come to Kansas City. I'm telling you, within three days, he called us and said, I'm going to be in Kansas City at the airport where you pick me up. I'll spend a night with you. Talking about God answering prayer so quickly. But you see, when you want to live on your own authority, you tend to make those decisions that kill things in your life. And the sad thing is it kills you. It just slowly makes you ugly inside. These people didn't want to hear the truth Jesus spoke. And you've got to remember, they don't believe in a resurrection. 28 says, they posed this question. Look at the question. Teacher Moses because Moses who was their great leader, gave us a law that if a man dies, leaving a wife but no children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. That's Deuteronomy 25.5. I don't want to explain that. Someday when we do the book of Deuteronomy, maybe uh, we'll never do the book of Deuteronomy. Someday maybe we'll talk about that, okay? They're just using the words of Moses, you know, because he's the authority, okay? Verse 29, was well, suppose there were seven brothers, the oldest one married and then died without children. So the second brother married the widow, but he also died, and the third brother married her. This continued with all seven of them who died without children. Verse 32, finally the woman also died. Now look what they say. So tell us whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. Now you see, I've had people throughout my ministry ask questions about this passage. You see, this is their question to Jesus. It's crazy question. Why is it crazy? They're saying, they're talking about the resurrection. Why is it crazy? That's right. They don't believe in the resurrection. But you see, that's what people do who don't want to believe Jesus. They want to argue points that don't make a lot of sense and a lot of rationale. And so they're trying to pose a question that has nothing to do with really what's going on inside them because they don't believe in resurrection. What it is, they don't want to hear truth. And people who don't want to hear truth always tries to turn you away from what Jesus would say. And you parents know that. When your children and you are in sort of a disagreement, and I've talked to some of you, I don't think you had bad kids like I did. Okay, My four kids are growing up. I love them, okay? And they love me, and they're involved in churches, okay? But, but, but we had times when our heads knocked. And you know what would always frustrate me? Is they'd like to change what we're talking about by asking some off-the-wall question. And I'd say, what in the world does that have to do with what we're talking about? Are you following with me? See, some of you parents have kids like I do. Some of you, you don't. See, Jesus, Jesus is going to been talking to these people in Jerusalem. We had last week's message where he talked, and he's going to talk here. People who don't believe in the resurrection, asking questions about the resurrection. Okay, this would, this would be like somebody saying today, I had a heart transplant. Okay? Some person was dying, and they took that heart because that person's brain was dead and they gave it to me. Now I don't believe, I don't believe this stuff about Jesus Christ but I was at church and heard people say there's a resurrection. And I don't believe in the resurrection. But I just wondered, who would that heart belong to? Me or that man who gave it to me or that person gave it to me? You see how ridiculous that question is? They don't believe in it. Why even ask the question? See, that's what they're doing. Look 34, Jesus replied. This is the important thing to remember if you're going to talk about questions about marriage. Jesus says, marriage is for people here on earth. But in the age to come, those worthy of being raised from the dead... Now, who is worthy of being raised from the dead? Jesus already said that's people who follow Him, not people who say it. Remember, Matthew recorded that on the day of judgment, there's going to be people Jesus is going to speak to. Hey, man, they're going to say, Lord, Lord, to me. He says, no, no, don't say, Lord, Lord, to me. I didn't know you. You would not listen to my words and do what I said. You did what you wanted to do. Depart from me. That was sin in your life. Okay? See, they never became followers of Jesus. Being followers of Jesus don't mean you're perfect, but it means the Holy Spirit speaks to you when you're struggling, and as you read your Word and you talk to God and you seek Him, change is going to take place in your life, and you're going to seek to follow Jesus. And it always makes your life better. It may not make the crisis, the situation better, but it always helps you become a better person. Well, he says, those worthy of being raised from the dead will never marry nor be given in marriage. They will never die again. In this respect, they will be like angels. In other words, he's trying to say, look, you humans are thinking heaven is like earth and it's not. Okay? Heaven is not where we talk about, oh boy, I'm going to be married to Laura and Laura's going to be married to Mike. Okay? Well, Laura's my wife. That's how we think about it. That's how people want it to be. Jesus says, no. It's going to be like the angels. Now, he's not saying we die and become angels. Some Christians mess that up. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. Okay, My little baby died. Become an angel in heaven. No, the Bible does never say that. You will see your baby. We don't totally understand all that relationship. I've talked about heaven before. We'll talk about it in the future. Don't have time today. But Jesus trying to straighten them out. Listen, life with God is not always from your perspective. You remember last week's sermon I started out. Jesus trying to get people to see things from God's perspective, not theirs. And that's all he's trying to say here. Look at the second blank on your message map. Fill that in. This is when we run into trouble, okay, here on earth. God the Creator gives us direction from His perspective through what Jesus said, folks. He gives us direction from His perspective. We only live by our own direction, from our perspective. And we argue that. You know, we'll argue with one another, but it's not one another we're arguing. It's really God. That's who it is. Because you know what God wants In your life, you know what God wants you to do. But you argue with God from your perspective. So look at the bad last thing on your handout or on the screen. So we refuse to hear the truth Jesus tells us of. That's what we do. And that's what they were doing. They were refusing to hear His truth. Because He was calling them to follow Him. And they didn't want to follow Him. Because it worked against everything that their rationale would speak about and would work on. And you're confronted in the same way. And not because God's trying to control you, but as the song said, I, God is trying to set you free. We sang about that. See? But as one of the other songs says, as you surrender to follow Jesus. No surrender, no freedom. Well, he goes on. Look at verse 36. We continue. They are children of God and children of the resurrection. In other words, when people die, they become children of God. Heaven is a place where God's family's at. The reason is because they're children of the resurrection. They believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have to believe on the resurrection of Jesus. You cannot be a follower of Jesus without believing in the resurrection. You cannot be a person who has salvation without believing in the resurrection. Somebody says, why? I just want to be a good person. I go to church because I want to be a good person. I remember when I was going through my theological training. Uh, Some of us got together. We were having sodas, and one of the guys says, man, I was in class, and I was behind a guy that we had a conversation, and the guy said he had never received Christ as Lord. And we ask him, did you ask him why he's coming for seminary training? He says, "Yeah, I asked him." He says, "Because I want to help people and church is a good place to help people." Now folks, he had to lie to this to this theological school I was going to because you had in your application, you had to give a written testimony of when Christ became Lord. You see, there's people who want to be good, but they don't want to follow Jesus. And they they want to do the things Jesus said, but they refuse to believe in His resurrection from the dead. And Jesus is saying, listen, you're talking about people dying and going to heaven? Those people become children of God. Listen, they'll be in God's family. They are children of resurrection. They are people who believe in a resurrection. Now, they can't understand all that. See, because, because... Friday, the crucifixion hasn't happened yet. And Sunday, the resurrection hasn't happened yet. The resurrection is so important that it's why you and I, you know, some Christians will say, why don't we worship on the Sabbath day? That's Saturday. Because you see, we see from the early church experience in the New Testament, they worshiped on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. They call it the Lord's Day because it's the day of resurrection. That's why we worship this day. You're not obeying a commandment. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Our day becomes the Lord's day because the resurrection is so important. Look at the next blank on your message map. One's relationship with God is based upon one's relationship with Jesus Christ, the resurrection. It's a must. You can't have a relationship with God without faith in the resurrection. Based upon what? You've heard, based upon what you read, based on the Holy Spirit convicting you. Look at 37. He goes on, he says, but now, as to whether the dead will be raised, even Moses proved this when he wrote about the burning bush. Now let me stop. These people don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in dead being raised. They ask a a question about the resurrection because they're trying to trick Jesus. Okay, I mean, what's your answer? Who's she married to? Of the seven, Say. Some of you have been married three times, four times. When you die, who are you going to be married to in the resurrection if all four of your mates, all four of your, your three exes and the one you're still married to are all Christian? Who are you going to be married to in heaven if you believe in marriage in that way? See? But if you don't believe in the resurrection, that's a stupid question. But Jesus doesn't drop the idea of the resurrection because the resurrection, I just told you, is of utmost importance. It's a must to relate to, to God. You can't follow Jesus without believing it. You can come to church, you can be good, but you will not experience being a child of God. So he says, even Moses proved this, about you're going to be raised from the dead, when he wrote about the burning bush, long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died. He referred to the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So, verse 38, so he is the God of the living, not the dead, for they are all alive to him. See, from our perspective, Moses is dead. From our perspective, he no longer lives. Okay, I mean, I'm sorry, Abraham's dead, not Moses. Abraham's dead. But you see, Moses doesn't speak of Abraham as dead. He doesn't say he was the God of Moses. He says he is the God of Moses. In in that writing of that Greek experience, because we don't write in the Greek, we write in English. It is a present tense experience. God is still the God of Moses. Moses doesn't cease to exist. I mean, Abraham. Moses is saying, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob still exist in a relationship with God. And Jesus is telling these religious people that because He wants them to believe in a resurrection from the dead. God is not the God who was the God of Abraham. He is the God of Abraham. That's what Moses was saying. And Jesus calls attention to that. And why did Moses say that? Because Moses believed in life after the grave. But these religious people don't want to. Look at 39. Well said, teacher. I mean, they can't argue with him, remarked some of the teachers of the religious law who are standing there. That's so humorous. But what can they say? Because they they know, they know in the Hebrew that it's written. In a present tense experience. Oh, wow, you got us there. Good, good answer. But will it change their lives? Just like, listen, you're listening to me talk and God is bringing conviction into your mind that you need Jesus. And whenever that comes, through one or two or five statements I say, you say, hmm, maybe I ought to consider Jesus Lord. Good, good statement, Pastor. But what will you do? And what they do is they just dismiss it. Jesus is trying to get them to get a look at life from God's perspective. And the difficulty with getting a look of life, at life from God's perspective is our perspective gets in the way so often. Well, he goes on. Look at 40. And then no one dared to ask him any more questions. I mean, because he put him on the spot and he had a great answer. We're not, we, we can't ask him more questions. Look at 41. Look what Jesus did. Then Jesus, he sort of turns the table, presented them with a question. Okay, He's going to put them on the spot. They're trying to trick him in front of the crowd because they want the people to lose confidence in him. Okay? So look what he says in verse 41. Why is it, he asked, that the Messiah is said to be the son of David? Okay, because Jewish prophecy speaks. The Messiah He's going to come from the lineage of David. Don't have time to pull that out for you. I thought about doing it, but then we can't get through with the book of Luke. But but Jesus says, you know, why is it that the Messiah is said to be the son of David? Verse 42, for David himself wrote in the book of Psalms. Now look, he says, you say, now listen, he says, as, as religious people, you say the Messiah will come from the lineage of David. So he's the son of David, whether he's a son or a grandson, and really Jesus was a great-grandson. Great, great, great Of David, okay. But he says, look what David himself wrote in the Psalm. The Lord, that's God, said to my Lord, they would have known that's the Messiah. Okay? Sit in the place of honor at my right hand. In other words, God gives Jesus the place of honor on the right hand of God. That's the place of honor. And so Jesus is calling attention that david himself declared that god was speaking to the messiah when david was living and yet religious people david said you religious people are saying the messiah is going to be out of david's lineage now explain that to me from human perspective and you can't are you following what i'm saying you can't you can't talk to somebody 3000 years Talk to somebody 3,000 years before and then say that person was born 3,000 years later as a human. That don't make any sense from human perspective. See, Jesus is trying to tell him: in your religious experience, you're making things from the human perspective, not from God's perspective. Now let me go back to some of those things that flowed on the stream when Johnny Cash was singing. Jesus said, you see some of those things that he quoted, and if we looked in the scripture, we would say, "But that, that that confronts my human perspective. That confronts you know my my I knew my uncle, and he said he was a Christian, and said, it was an awful guy. Well, that doesn't mean Christ isn't real. It might mean your uncle wasn't a true believer, or it may mean he was caught in some sin, because Christians can get caught in sin. But see, your human perspective tells you to turn off God's perspective, and this morning. We're here. We're here. And if you heard my prayer, I asked the Holy Spirit would help us understand. And I told you, not everything in the Scriptures is as easily understood. And this is one of those passages. And you've got to open your mind to God. I'm not telling you today that you need to turn everything over to Christ. I would like for you to do that. But I'm telling you, don't leave and never come back. Give God three months, four months, six months. Listen to His Word. See what this, See if the Holy Spirit doesn't show your life right before you. And you can hear what Jesus' answer would be for those situations. Because when we live by human perspective, I'm going to tell you what we do. When I live by human perspective, I'm an uglier husband. I'm an uglier father. I'm an uglier friend. I'm an uglier neighbor. Because it's God's perspective that causes me to be open and friendly. It's God's perspective that says, listen, if I talked about husband, God's perspective says in the Scripture, I should learn everything about my wife so that I can make life better for her. That's what you husbands do, right? Some of you husbands can go out and hunt a deer, and you're the best deer hunter. And you think you are too. You talk with your buddy, you know you're better. When they say something that's different from you and you know it's getting away, you say, they're just stupid. Okay? But when it comes to your wife, you live by your human perspective. That's why kids grow up and, and they don't know if they want to be married today. Because we've moved into the last five decades of people living married life by human perspective, not God's perspective. See, Jesus wants us to see things from God's perspective. Now he goes on, look 43. After he says, honor at the right hand, he says, until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. And that's going to be in the resurrection. You see, because it looks like Jesus is the loser here on earth. But after the resurrection, He is the winner. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes it looks like when you live by God's perspective, you're the loser. You're being easy on people who do wrong. You're being easy on people who hurt you. You're being loving and forgiving. And it seems like they walk on you. I'm going to tell you, from God's perspective, God says you're the winner. And it liberates you. It sets you free. Because some of you can't get rid of something happened in the past. And you need to look at that past from God's perspective. So that you can live free as God said. Well, it goes on. Look, 44. Since David called the Messiah Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? That's the thing. How can, how can David, 3,000 years or somewhere around that long, called the Messiah His Lord, and yet now these religious people are looking for the Messiah to be out of the lineage of David. How, how, how can, from human perspective, that make any sense? It's, it's only by God's perspective and God at work. Look at 45. Then with the crowds listening, He turned to His disciples and said, Beware, look at this, Beware, look at that. That's a good word to circle, 46, because when you read this, the whole passage is this confrontation with people who don't believe in the resurrection, and you've got to be careful when you start building the foundation of your life on the philosophy of people who do not believe in Jesus' resurrection. They're dying inside, and they're dying outside. They may have more money than you, they may live in better possessions than you, but they're dying. And he says, beware of these teachers of religious law. Now I'm going to tell you, this will definitely cause those people to be mad at him. He's in their city, their holy week, Passover. Telling them things that they don't want to hear. Like sometimes you sit in a church and you hear somebody, whether it's a pastor or somebody telling something from their life's experience and you don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. This is going to upset them. Beware of these teachers of religious law. Why will it upset them? Because you see they're evil. The Bible teaches that evil is not coming from God's perspective. You shouldn't hate somebody because from God's perspective, you're you're to love, not to hate. So hatred is evil. You shouldn't hurt somebody. See, God never okays sinful actions. Don't get me wrong when I talk about forgiveness. See, that's evil. What do we do when we do evil? The Bible says we are to repent. The Bible says if we hurt somebody in particular, we are to repent, make amends to them. We are to express to them our sorrow. See, when we see it from God's perspective. I told you whenever I was 13, 14, I began that rebellion to my dad. My dad was a good man, okay? But I began that rebellion toward my dad. But it took some men in my life to get me to see God's perspective before I would tell my dad face to face that I am sorry for my rebellion. And then to move that to my father-in-law and say I'm sorry for some of these words that I have said in relationship. Now I know you all have great in-law relationships. My in-law had a problem in their family. Okay? You see, when you look at a God's perspective, it just sort of turns everything upside down. Really, it turns everything right side up. Human perspective turns everything upside down. Look, it goes on 45, and then the crowd's listening. Then with the crowd's listening, He turned to His disciples and said, Beware of the teachers of religious law, for they... Like Now look what he says. He says they like to parade around in flowing robes. In other words, they like to look like they're right, they're good. And he uses robes. Jesus isn't against nice robes or nice clothes. Don't get me wrong, okay? He's not against that. Though I will say churches have made it appear that you can't be in church unless you've got some of the best duds around. And if we're not careful from the human perspective, listen. Listen, we often tend to see people who wear some kind of name on their clothing as having more worth. See, we still do that. So Jesus is trying to say with these people, and and people who might have those nice clothes on with names that seem to bring worth, we do that. Our young people grow up that way. Moms and dads only take them to the stores and buy them name brand often. And so they grow up that way. But it doesn't mean the people who have those on are good. And Jesus is trying to say, these bad teachers of the religious law, they like to go around looking good, but they're not good. Some people like to parade into the church looking good, and they're not good. Now be careful. Not because your human perspective says they're not good, because you see from God's perspective, they're not doing what Jesus says. He goes on, 46, and they love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces. In other words, they like people, you know, well, they, they at least think I'm i a decent person. They like me. Matter of fact, people who do the wrong things, who will not listen to Jesus, tend to hang out with people who agree with their perspective instead of God's perspective so that they can feel like, hey, I'm, I'm greeted well. And people who come from God's perspective Though so people who come from God's perspective should always be welcoming and loving, often the people who don't come from God's perspective feels like, you didn't say hi to me. You didn't talk to me like you talked to them. You don't care for me like you care for them. See, these people like to receive a respectful greeting as they walk amongst the people in the marketplace. Jesus is telling you, from human perspective, we would look at these people, we'd say, man, look at their duds. Look how people pay attention to them. They are good people. 46 goes on, and how they love the seat of honor in the synagogues and the head table at banquets. In other words, he says, they love to be first in line. They love to have people say, no, you, you. He says, these are the kind of people these religious people are. You you think this is making them happy? Because now anybody who's looking for life from God's perspective is looking at these religious people. Just like, listen, every person who preaches, people look at that person and they're always evaluating. Are you living up to what you say? See, and so these guys are going to be looking. They wanted human recognition, and human honor, they weren't concerned about God's recognition and God's honor. Their opinion was what important, not God's perspective. They wanted people to serve them. They weren't concerned with serving people. People, Listen to me. People who do not look at life from God's perspective often are people that will want you to invite them into your home. They will want you to be loving toward them. They will want you to go out of the way to serve them they do very little to serve others unless in their human perspective they decide that person's worth being served. These people were concerned with having the places of honor. They weren't concerned with stepping back and helping others find that place of honor. And you know who needs to find the place of honor? It's the people who are messing up in life. It is. That's why if you get on our website, our first thing that comes up says we're broken people. We're not concerned about people who are okay, though we want them to grow and be used by God. We're concerned with reaching people who have been disassociated with God, have no history, or for some reason have moved away from God. 47 says, yet they shamefully cheat widows out of their property. Widows just represented needy people back then. If you didn't have a man, a husband, or a son to take care of you, you were in in trouble unless you had a way that within their society you could make income. And so he was saying these people, they, they, they are not honest in their dealings with people who are hurting, people who have needs. Matter of fact, to the world, that really causes them a problem with Christians. Because a lot of Christians... We'll, we'll go do everything with our toys and our pleasure. And we really don't identify with people who have needs that we should be helping. And he's saying that's what these religious people are like. He uses the widow for the example. If we read on in the New Testament, we'd see even the word orphan is used, but the widows and orphans, those terms were used in the Old Testament too. They just are symbolic of people in need. He goes on in 47, and he says and they pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. In other words, they, they try to say words before people to God to make themselves look good. I prayed with, with two young uh, youth this morning. I prayed with a lady this morning. Uh, when people share something with me that is in immediate need, I usually say, can we pray? Now, what's the reason for that? So they'll say, man, I like our pastor. He says, good prayers. What's the reason? From human perspective, it may be to fool those three people. But from God's perspective, He knows why Mike Davis prays. See, I believe in the power of prayer. I believe not only does Jesus transform us when we follow Him, But if we pay attention when we talk to Him honestly with attitudes of repentance, not an attitude, listen to me, God, you've got to do what I want, that He brings change often in areas that we never had anything to do with. These people, they just pray for the purpose of people say, wow, man, they sure can pray. He goes on in 47, because of this, look what he says, This this is sad. Because of this, they will be severely punished. Just because you look good in church doesn't mean you are good in God's perspective. Just because you seem to have all the answers in church doesn't mean from God's perspective you've got it. That's the thing. What proves it? Listen, what proves, if you got it from God's perspective, is that you tend to hear what Jesus said And you and others know it brings change. Even when you get caught up in the wrong attitude, the wrong behavior, you hear somebody, a Bible study, a sermon, reading the Scriptures, or the Holy Spirit Himself says, you know what? You shouldn't be that way toward your mate, toward your parents, toward your children, toward that person, toward that person. And people who would watch you would see a change, the transformation that Jesus brings. His words always transforms. You see, Christ calls us to see things from God's perspective, not our own, and that's a difficult thing. But people who do not are people who are going to experience judgment. And I want you to know, I've never tried to. God is a God of judgment. Some of us human perspectives, I can't believe in a God of love who would send people to hell. God says, "If you kill hundred, you killed somebody out of hatred, and that's your heart attitude. You're not going to celebrate with my family, and you know, you know, evil cannot be a part of what God is doing. Now, what God will do before that person goes to the, if they have a death row, God will be speaking to that person." about repentance. And God will be speaking to the family of the one who died who was murdered about forgiveness. See, God's always involved. He's always involved. But people who violate what God wants in their life and do not see the repentance that they ought to do or the forgiveness they ought to give, because those two words are the two big words. The grace of God is based on His forgiveness toward repentance, and we are followers of Jesus. We demonstrate that grace. They're going to be severely punished. That's what Jesus says. Look at the last blank on your message map. One rel- one's relationship with God is based upon one's relationship with Jesus Christ. Now I change this. The revelation. Before I said the resurrection, it's the revelation, and it is a must. Listen, what I mean by it's a must. I told you, you cannot experience being a part of God's family without believing in the resurrection. You will not be able to live as God's child apart from the words of Jesus. That's the revelation. See, I'm just a guy talking to you. And I could have a selfish purpose maybe. But when it comes out of Jesus' words, His purpose is to reveal to us what God wants in our life. And you must have a relationship with Jesus if you are to have a relationship with God because Jesus is the one who reveals. Don't fall in love with Mike Davis, your pastor. Don't fall in love with that that lady in church if you're a woman and she's so loving to you or that man because he's so, if you're a man because he's so kind to you. Look and see what Jesus is doing in their lives and accept the invitation to fall in love with Jesus. He's the revelation. That's why, listen, any man here, I mentor men. All you have to do is say to me, you know, I'd like to to just try that for like five or six weeks. And I'll meet with you for 45 minutes, a week, and we'll concentrate. I won't embarrass you. I've done this. It's what was done with me when I was in the military. It's what brought transformation to my life. I'll just share with you things from the Word of God. I guarantee you, Five, six weeks, you'll see transformation in your life if you look at things from God's perspective. We've got women who will help women. We have men who help men. All you have to do is say, Hey, I'd like to do that. Talk to me afterwards. You see, God communicates to us through His revelation, Jesus Christ. God shows us how to live. Through his revelation, Jesus Christ. Be careful following me because I blow it sometime, just like you do. But I repent and I get forgiveness, just like God will give it to you. But you see, God communicates to us through the revelation, of Jesus Christ. God shows us how to live through the revelation, of Jesus Christ. God directs our words and our actions through the revelation of Jesus Christ. The more we look at Jesus, the more he helps us live in a life full of human perspective. Without Jesus Christ, without that revelation, we are lost people. You heard that term before, haven't you? The preachers have said it for years. Without Jesus, you're lost. Without the revelation of Jesus Christ, we are blind people. We think we can see, but we can't. We always find the dead ends. See, you heard that before. Without Christ, you're blind. See, Christ is the revelation that makes a difference. We cannot, the Creator created us to be free in this world, to live our potential, and we cannot do it unless we understand, we learn, we know the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Himself said, if you know My words and follow them, you will be set free. I invite you to follow Jesus. I invite you to receive Him as the Lord of your life. If you've never turned to God and said, God, I'm sorry for my sins. I know they're there. And you do. What I've heard today is that Jesus died for my sins on the cross. I believe that God. (laughs) It's beyond me. I'm telling you by faith, I accept what He's done for me on the cross. And I believe He rose from the dead. And I ask you to forgive me my sins and ask Jesus to be Lord of my life. See, God never made it hard. Humans make it hard. Churches make it hard. God never made it difficult. Since those men worked with me in my early 20s, I've always said, we make God more difficult than He ever made Himself. That's what human perspective does. I invite you today to turn to Jesus Christ as Lord and if you do, I invite you to follow him in believer's baptism. If you have, then I invite you to do what he said. If you've not followed me in believer's baptism since you became Lord, I invite you to do that. Follow Jesus Christ. He'll never, never lead you wrong. Do we have any questions? Okay. If you haven't noticed on that page it says, for the blanks, it says you can text a question in uh we've got a little time so uh you you got something. Oh. Last month was Pastor Appreciation Month. So on behalf of connection with Code, but we'd like to thank you. you. Thank you for your time, your dedication, your leadership. Matt. Thank you, Mary. Okay. I appreciate this and I do. I'm I'm not gonna say a lot. If you give it talk to me, this is the wrong time for me to say anything. This is his time. But thank you. You are a great people. I wrote on that tree, the thank you tree, that connect group star, for my friends, that connection. I truly believe I have friends here. Let's go to the question. Let's get back to Jesus. How long did Jesus hang around earth making himself visible to people and delivering messages shortly after he was resurrected? Basically, the Bible says 40 days. Okay? 40 days. Now, I want you to understand something. I wasn't there. Neither were you. I'm going to ask you a question. Why should I believe why should I believe somebody out of history really existed if it's before I was born? Do you believe do you believe Abraham Lincoln lived? Did you talk to him? Did you walk with him? How do you know he lived? You know what people tell me? My teacher told me. I said, well, I know some teachers are old. (laughs) Did your teacher walk with him? They say no. Did your teacher talk with him? No. How'd your teacher learn? You know what they get back to? They read it. And Abraham Lincoln's not a character out of antiquity. People who lived during the time when writing was not in in abundance That's considered antiquity. The only way we can know anything about characters or events of antiquity is from writings from antiquity. Now, I've taught at Lake College. I've taught history. I could teach about some historical characters and nobody would say, you can't teach that in a public university. But I can't teach about Jesus. Not from a, a perspective that He rose from the dead and all that. Okay? Because I'm moving into religion, they say. Do you realize? No, you don't. There is less evidence in writings from antiquity for many characters and events of antiquity than there is for the existence of Jesus Christ and His resurrection. Now, you've got to just trust me that. I'm going to tell you. Listen, if you're a guy here and I'm getting you sort sort of wet in your appetite, that's what I get into whenever I'm in. Because you've got to come to the place that you understand. As you look at any character out of history and the reality that they lived, you have to use the same rationale toward Jesus. That's why this book becomes so important now. So, how long? Out of history? 40 days. Now let me tell you something. Just a couple days after Jesus went back to heaven, okay, he walked 40 days, he ascended into heaven. So they were looking at Him and an angel, or a voice out of heaven spoke to them. We say an angel. A voice spoke and said, what are you guys doing? Looking at Him ascending into heaven. He's gone. Now go on and do what He said to do. And Jesus said this, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Okay? In other words, the purpose Jesus came was to help people understand God's perspective and to find freedom. That's what all of us live for. Every, every one of you do you have children. That's what you to teach your children. Soccer, they should experience if they like it. Hunting deer or a turkey, they should experience if they like it. Learning how to fix a motor, that's a good thing to learn. But you should teach them what Jesus came for. And that's what they live for. That's what they live for. Well, let me just say, just a couple days after He ascended, Peter stood up. Now listen, not in not in Mount Vernon, Illinois. Peter stood up in Jerusalem with thousands of Jews around him and he said, this Jesus whom you crucified, that would have been within a month and a half ago. This Jesus whom you crucified just a month and a half ago. You see, that's a writing of antiquity. Peter isn't the only one that said it. That's the thing. He said, this Jesus whom you crucified, they could have raised their voices there in Jerusalem. Okay, Because this is the time of Pentecost. This is another celebration. Again, there's probably a million Jews back in Jerusalem. It's like the Super Bowl, the Jewish faith. They would have drew rocks at him and said, you liar, nobody crucified Jesus. We, were, we know, we live here. He never hung on a cross. See, you doubt that. Because you can't go back there. But Peter stood up and he said, he rose from the dead. You see, they could have went right down to the tomb, they could have pulled the body of Jesus up, and they could have went and they could have said, here's His body. See, you refuse to believe that because you see now, God is convicting you to move to a faith statement. And you live your life on faith. You believe in characters of history and events of antiquity that have less evidence than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, 40 days, and a few days later, Peter started talking about it right there where millions of Jews, where a million or so Jews were okay. Okay. Was there any other questions? Good. Let's bow together for prayer, and then we're done. Father, I thank You for this person who was thinking and, and searching to give this question. I thank You for Luke. The person who wrote the question is sort of like Luke. Luke after coming to know Christ, was seeking and searching for a better understanding. I thank You that today there are people like Luke in connection. And Father, I pray that You help us. There's no way, God, we're going to remember everything that was said or done here. But that You help us. That Your Spirit this week would call attention to some things we heard and we saw today that we would give our time to learn more about Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen.